0: The same attributes it takes to be a tight end.
1: Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Filato and... We are days, we are hours away from the NFL kickoff and days away from the New York Giants playing an actual football game. It's amazing to think about considering we didn't see a preseason game. We haven't seen any real live snaps. We watched some blue and white scrimmages, but I mean, come on, folks, it's going to be crazy. I have a theory that defenses will be way ahead of offenses. I have a theory that offensive tackles specifically are going to struggle. Hopefully not the ones having to match up against TJ Watt and uh, Bud Dupree. We'll get to that shortly. But today, in today's pod, we are going to dive deep into the matchup specific matchups we like about the Giants and Steelers, specific matchups we're worried about. And then in the middle of that, before that at least, I should say, we're going to break down the Giants' unofficial depth chart and see what we make of that. But before we do any of that, Nick, how are you doing today, my friend?
2: Bet the over, everybody. The defense is going to be really sloppy this week. I'm not just specifically talking about the Giants-Steelers game, I'm just talking about in general. I I would imagine that defense is where they rely so heavily on communication especially in zone coverage it's going to be somewhat sloppy in week one I think the tackling is going to be really sloppy as well in week one so I'm expecting some points to be scored in the first week of the 2020 NFL season
1: I'm actually on the opposite end of that. I think the sloppiness on defense will be there, especially with the tackling communication. But I think the biggest issue, and like I said, I think defenses will be ahead of the offenses. Like Joe Judge said after the Bloom-White scrimmage, this is typical of early in the season because the offensive line play, I think, is going to be really, really, really bad across the NFL, especially for the teams that have new offensive lines that haven't communicated together, especially for teams that have new offensive linemen starting, rookies that haven't played in the NFL. So I might go the other way with that. I actually did place a few wagers, and by a few, I mean I bet the under on every game. So that's my theory. We're gonna see what happens every week. This one game. This is gonna be very I took interesting. The under, yeah. Okay. And then I heard a podcast with Warren Sharp, who I really respect um, when it comes to NFL analytics, NFL thought process. You know, his entire thought process. Who well, actually said the opposite to bet all the overs because he looked back at the 2011 season when the lockout was happening and actually in the first four games the overs were hitting so that totally threw me on threw me on a you know a loop and i hope i'm not wrong but i'm sticking with my original plan yeah
2: i'm a little bit on the overside. i think the offensive line is an excellent point but i think defenses are just going to be entirely too sloppy with the community i think there's going to be a lot of blown coverage and i think there's going to be more scoring than we're typically used to
1: so i guess we'll see yep we will but listen nick we won't spend too much time um you know diverging onto that because we did recently get I couldn't believe it but I did see it a one star review for someone because they said I don't want to come here. I come here for your Giants analysis, not your fantasy football analysis. We may have spent five minutes, maybe six max, talking fantasy football a couple weeks ago. So I do apologize. I really do. It's a sincere apology. You can't see me from the podcast, but trust me, this is a sincere apology. I sincerely apologize for spending six minutes talking about fantasy football.
2: For those of you guys who don't know, there's this, <laughs> there's this crazy button that you can press that skips forward. So if you don't want to listen to Listen, there's blabber, one person just... who didn't like yeah. it,
1: and there's like five people who said they want it. They like the fantasy stuff so you know what go ahead you can be a hater if you want to spend your time going and diving in and pressing that one star review button that's your prerogative we're going to keep diving in giving you giants analysis for those who do enjoy it and we do appreciate the support from the opposite end it's way 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 more um both in the iTunes reviews and and everything else and like i said and like i'll always say if you haven't done it yet please please help us grow this pod By rate reviewing and subscribing us on iTunes but let's talk Giants football Nick and the Giants released their unofficial depth chart and there are maybe some surprises we'll get to that I think that's more on the defensive end but let's start with some of the bigger developments on the offensive side of the ball the first is Nick Gates is listed as the starting center
2: it seems like it was inevitable a lot of the uh, reports that mean I know beat reporters couldn't talk about these specific lineups and what was happening with first team in terms of personnel but you see videos kind of leak on Twitter and things, and you saw Nick Gates and his long-ass hair sitting there at the center position with Daniel Jones, and you're like, oh, oh, that's interesting, and now it's finally unofficially official that he's going to be the starting center and I think it was just trending in that direction I was a little skeptical early on earlier in the offseason that he would be the starting center because I had some play strength concerns and I think that the center positions an incredibly difficult position to just kind of adapt to when you have no experience there but I guess that's a testament to Nick Gates now now let's hope he can block this Steelers defensive line
1: yeah, I think it's interesting from a lot of standpoints. The first one I want to touch on is the one you brought up last, and that's the communication that's required from a center, the communication not only with the entire offensive line, but his quarterback. And I think, like you said, we have to sit back here not knowing much more than what we can see on the surface and say, listen, this is a guy who put the work in, worked his butt off, trained in the offseason, learned a position that he hadn't played, but had some snaps last year, not much, you know, in practice, and really got got through it fast and enough to the point where he's going to start week one here, even though, you know, like you said, the other guy has had more reps. The other guy has had reps with Daniel Jones and the other guy being Spencer Pulley. Um, I think possibly the injury to Pulley is playing a factor here. It's so tough to know. Even in the interview today that Gates had, and we're recording this on a Wednesday before the game, even in the interview Gates had with with beat reporters, he didn't, he wouldn't even confirm he's the starter yet. You know, he kind of did the Joe Judge thing, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. And, kind of deferred but i think this is this is pretty locked in feels pretty locked in
2: yeah joe judge is fostering that environment where not a lot of players are saying a lot of things at all i wonder how certain players of the giants past would have fared in this type of environment but it seems like obviously it's early but it does seem like everybody's buying in which is a good sign
1: Yeah, for sure. And again, like you said, it's early. I think we need. I hope people are willing to give it time because it's not going to be easy when this team has to face the Steelers and 49ers in two of the first three games.
2: And you also got the Rams, too, in there. Right. The early
1: season schedule is tough. I hope people are willing to be patient with Joe Judge. I like what I've seen with Judge a lot. I think this is just the type of. I think he's going to be a guy that we're going to have three to five times a year, Nick, where we're going to be like, "Look at that smart thing he just did." He's going to think of something. He's going to do something in their preparation or in the matchups on a game-to-game basis where we're just like, "This is something we haven't seen from Shermer and McAdoo before him." It might, you know, Coughlin had a couple of those in in his arsenal, but not not as much. He wasn't really that kind of guy. I just feel like Joe Judge could outthink some have have some situations where he outthinks other teams in a way that we're just not used to as fans
2: especially on game day because the last two coaches the giants had were play callers and right if you've ever called any kind of plays if you ever ran play calling in madden you could see that that's what intently what you're focused on you're not seeing the broad holistic picture of what's going on on game day you're focusing on what is the best play at this moment so just having that is huge for me personally
1: yeah for sure Okay, let's look at some other things on the offensive side of the depth chart. Did you make anything of Caden Smith being listed ahead of Levine Toilolo at tight end?
2: I don't, know. I believe Caden Smith's going to have a role, and I think Levine Toilolo is going to have a role, and I don't really make too much of it. I think Toilolo's role is going to be more blocking-centric, whereas Caden Smith is going to be more receiving-centric. I think it's going to be based on the situation that the Giants' offense—the the situation that they're in is going to dictate which tight end will be on the field, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that. I do still find this whole tight end position extremely interesting for the Giants because, you know, regardless, the Giants are going to be a team that wants to set the tone in the run game. This is, they're one of those teams, even though, I think they're set up this way, so I'm not going to say the word unfortunately, but I do believe that as you see from teams like the Chiefs who had the highest pass rate, the highest neutral pass rate in the NFL— they're the teams that are going to be ahead of the teams that are run first. It's just my opinion. I believe running the ball on first down is a way worse decision than passing the ball on first down. The metrics show it. It's not just advanced metrics, it's kind of just the way the NFL is set up. It's really hard to defend the pass in the NFL, point blank. But the Giants won't be one of those teams, and that's okay because you can still be a team that sets a tone in the run game, wins the line of scrimmage, and for your specific roster, it might be a better fit. For example, the Giants right now, a team that can't really afford to have their defense on the field for too many snaps and too often. Might be better off with an offense that controls the line of scrimmage and tries to just milk the clock and really win time of possession on a daily, you know, on a weekly basis. So that's what I think they'll be. So, so that's the why it why circling this all back to the tight end position, Nick. That's why it interests me the most because how I'm just curious how they're going to get. I can see how they're going to get Levine Toilolo on the field for sure. I mean, he's going to be a guy who's going to help them do what I just said set the tone in the run game be a physical team up front be a run first team like we're gonna for those of you who didn't like the pat Shermer run on first and ten all the time offense unfortunately you're gonna get a lot more of that again i mean jason garrett less in, until he gave up play calling duties to kellen moore was one of the highest had the one of the highest rates of any play caller when it came to running on first and ten the goal the hope is that he won't follow in the uh, pat Shermer footsteps and run on second and ten a lot because that that's just a devastatingly bad decision you, you should really never be running on second and ten in my mind but Again, back to this. I'm curious how they get Caden Smith on the field because I can see the snaps for Toilolo, like I said, but what about Smith? And to me, he has to be on the field. The rapport he showed with Daniel Jones, his ability to to get uh, open in the in the red zone area, and basically his ability to catch balls up the seam, depend no matter where those safeties were bearing down on him, really stood out to me and were really imp- and was really impressive to me. So I think he's a really big talent, one of the <laughs> a skill position player that needs snaps. I'm still kind of curious, regardless of where he's lifted, listed on the depth chart, where when he. Going to play, Nick.
2: I also feel the Golden Tate injury where it's not 100% clear on if he's going to play. I think we all assume that he's going to play, but he is dealing with hamstring tightness. I think in week one, we might see some 12 personnel with Evan Ingram basically lined up, split out in the slot, and then with Caden Smith on the line of scrimmage, and then Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard. I think that's something that is realistic that we may see if golden tate does miss the monday night game now that isn't determined quite yet but i think that's one way Caden smith can find his way onto the field early but again i think it's going to be situational i think we're going to see both of those players in Toy Lolo and Smith and I think Evan Ingram is going to be used in line but he's also going to be used in the slot quite frequently as well especially against teams with smaller defensive backs in the slot and I think they're going to play a mismatch kind of game I just don't think his snaps Caden Smith that is it's going to be as high as it was last year obviously because there was an Evan Ingram injury right and because you do have Levine Toy Lolo and because you do more than likely want to establish a physical power running game and that's something that fits Toy Lolo's skill set a little bit more than someone like Caden Smith but maybe Caden Smith came along I think in the Bears game we saw him go up against some of the talented edge rushers guys like Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd where he actually showed a decent ability for a rookie tight end who's not known for his blocking and yep. he also did a pretty solid job against Zadarius Smith In that matchup against the Packers now again Cleo Mack also owned him in a couple reps too but he actually showed signs of encouragement maybe he got better maybe he can find the field in those running situations as well but as of right now I think it's going to just going to be a split depending on the situation between those two tight ends
1: it'll be interesting because like you said he showed flashes of promise as a blocker And as a complete tight end in that regard. And like I said, I really think he has a lot of promise as a receiving tight end. So I think they need to find a way. I think as we look, if we'll look back on the season, Caden Smith really doesn't play much. I think it will be an indictment on Garrett's first season. Because while they did bring in Toilolo and they want to set this tone in the run game. I do believe Daniel Jones is a better fit for kind of more of an offensive style that he ran at Duke and with Shermer in his first year, which is more open. There were some empty sets there. I hope Garrett has those mixed in. I really just hope this offense doesn't really bog down is kind of what I'm saying. And to me, the Toy Lolo-Smith is kind of where that debate kind of rages around and centers around. Like, I don't want to see any kind of scenario, let's say, example, where Toy Lolo is playing double the snap Smith. And again, I'm not knocking Toy Lolo here. I understand what he's there for, but when you put a Toy Lolo on the field... It signals a lot to a defense, and it kind of gives away your hand, in my opinion, a little bit.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's absolutely no way to dispute that because you're not going to be airing it up up the seam with Levine Toilolo too often. <laughs> he's going to be much more of a—you're playing a much more conservative style of ball when he's out there on the field, and that's why he's had, what, three receptions or something in the last two seasons. But another thing, if you wanna do, sp- do want to spread it out with Daniel Jones, Dan— you have someone like Damian Ratley who ended up making this roster. Maybe some, Freddie Kitchens, his old coach, put him in, uh, put a good word in for him, and he's somebody who has a bit more speed than some of the other receivers. He's known more as a vertical threat. Now I think Darius Slayton is pretty equipped at that skill set, but you bring in someone like Ratley, and if they do go, say ten personnel or one zero one personnel, if you want to say that with no running back, imagine you would use Saquon Barkley out split out there. But you might have someone like Ratley to be used with Darius Slayton to try to really stretch the field vertically and open up lanes for Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard in the intermediate parts of the field.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Ratley's an intriguing ad by them. Um you remember him back in the days with A and M and he he's one of those guys who looks faster on the field even than he tested. He I think he tested at that four or four or five, but this is a guy who has that vertical speed. I almost feel like with Ratley versus Slayton, I do agree Slayton has the skill set in the vertical game. He finds ways to win. You look at that Minnesota rep he had for the touchdown against the Vikings last season. It's just an awesome rep, but it's less so with that kind of Marquise Brown, Tyreek Hill, you know, beat him off the line of scrimmage, Deshaun Jackson, then they just can't catch you. Ratley kind of has a little bit of that in his game that beat you off stack and then you're just, you just can't get caught from his pure speed standpoint. So it is interesting to see if he works his way into the offensive game plan at any point because it's not, it doesn't seem like it's a expected right now, but he does have a bit of a different skill set.
2: Yeah, a bit of a different skill set is something that we expected from Derek, from Derek Dillon and Corey Coleman. So, And I know a lot of beat reporters were talking about it. If you kind of put the pieces together, we all liked Corey Coleman a lot, but Ratley offers something a little bit different than Coleman, especially with Coleman's injury history. So I wouldn't be totally shocked if he has a couple package plays in there where they try to take some deep shots with
1: this kid. I wouldn't either. And the Coleman thing for me comes all the way back. I've always, you know, I've been big on Coleman, but And I think he made plays during, obviously, the Wright scrimmages and in camp. But with Coleman, and this goes back to before you joined the podcast with Turchin, we always would discuss how... For a guy who ran that four-four-three, he really doesn't seem to get that vertical separation. He really struggled over the top in the vertical passing game for whatever reason. And maybe they see that on tape when they're watching Corey Coleman, especially coming off another injury, you know, coming off a big ACL injury. He may just not be able to get over the top. And they feel like from what they've seen on tape, and obviously Freddie Kitchens was the head coach in practice, that Ratley's a guy who can do that and he can offer that up for the Giants. And that's just so important because that's been the key, one of the biggest keys to that Sean Payton Saints offense that's just been so dominant for so many years, and no one can figure it out it's having that vertical guy who can get over the top, the knife in the defense, just making sure those safeties play you differently changes everything you can do in the middle of the field in your passing game. So the Giants really felt like I understand if the Giants really felt like they needed someone there because again, Slayton wins in my opinion different vertical ways. I know he tested really well with the four three nine. I don't see four three nine when I watch him, which is okay because he wins with route running in different ways shepherd um tate and you know you know shepherd and tate really that those aren't guys that are really taking then the, you know, those aren't the knife of the defense right there knifing you know knifing through the defense and forcing the safeties to play you differently i guess
2: and also you have evan ingram who is just a mismatch nightmare in the middle of the field yes and- I mean, last year his A dot was like six yards, average depth of target, which is really asinine when you think about it. I mean, Blake Jarwin, for instance, who was the backup tight end for Dallas, had an A dot of 10 yards, and I'm hoping that is. Something that comes over from the Cowboys' offense to Evan Ingram: use him up the seams, stretch those safeties, keep it, keep the defense honest, and don't allow them to really load that box and hinder Saquon Barkley from operating either out of the backfield or as a running back. And Evan Ingram, man, you put you—what are you gonna do? You're gonna put a linebacker? You're gonna need to put a safety on him. He's more athletic than most of both of those uh, position groups in the NFL. He's basically a receiver in a smaller tight end's body, and he's. He's definitely a weapon that has been underutilized, in my opinion, under the last two coaching staff. So I'm really hoping that the Giants can really assist this guy in having the breakout season that we've all felt like he's capable of doing, but injuries have kind of not allowed that to happen. And hopefully maybe he's not blocking as much. You don't want to set trends like we always say on this podcast, but I really just want to see him use in a more vertical style up the seam to control the middle of the field.
1: Yeah, it's an excellent point, Nick. I think since the start of his rookie season, that week two Monday night game against the Lions where the Giants kind of ran that interesting play that got him open up the seam and he caught a touchdown, we've kind of been like, where is that? Because, again... A guy who runs a four-four-two, and a guy who you go back on his all Miss tape, and he was used up the seam there. I mean, Chad Kelly, a guy who I always will never understand how he didn't make in the NFL. I loved his arm talent. He
2: likes the alcohol, too. Yeah,
1: right I guess he's just not—the mental there is not there. But he really utilized him well up the seam. And then two coaching staffs later, Evan Ingram's still not being used in that way. You mentioned it. It's all in—the proof is in the pudding. His dot was extremely low for a guy with a four-four-two. Speed. And, and and by the way, his speed, it's there. I agree that really, in reality, he's more of a second, third gear speed type of guy, like when you see him in that Tampa game when he's housing that ball. And th- there's plenty of plays against Washington from two years ago where he just throws that afterburner speed on, kind of the post catch speed. But he still has a lot more speed than most tight ends up the seam. And Garrett has a history of doing an excellent job utilizing uh, the vertical seam passing game with the tight ends. So I think this could be one of the unlocked cheat codes that Giants fans should really keep an eye on that should really be counting on and looking forward to in the 2020 season
2: and also just allows you to do so many things underneath when you have someone stretching the field up the seam it allows you to it takes the pressure off your rushing attack and allows those underneath weapons like sterling shepherd and golden tate to operate in easier situations i mean you could really put defenders into conflict safeties and linebackers into conflict when you have route combinations where that defender needs to make a decision to either drop deep which they're more than likely going to do which also allows the underneath to come yep. open if it's zone coverage so they really Really need to utilize that uh, method which is something that i mean every coach utilizes. i just feel like with evan ingram specifically it was has not been done up to the manner of which it should have been under the last two coaches
1: and that's another excellent point you just made nick because listen what have we been saying about daniel jones excellent in his rookie season against man coverage struggled against zone so find him easier solutions in zone coverage this could be one way to find him some easier solutions in zone coverage if that if they carry over the top there's going to be those open drags for Shepard and tate and and the likes of them and slayton obviously as well so i think that if they start utilizing that aspect of Ingram's game, it's going to open so much for this offense.
2: Yes, I love Ingram this year, man. Let's, let's just hope it happens. Yeah, he's got to stay, stay healthy. healthy. Stay it's, healthy Ingram bro.
1: has to stay healthy. And he has to for himself, too, because he wants that second contract. This is If he doesn't stay healthy this season, he's going to turn into one of those guys, I think, that just kind of doesn't get the money he's expecting on a second deal because he hasn't proven he could stay healthy. But we'll see over there. Um, only other interesting thing I thought on the offensive depth chart, the rest is kind of expected, would be uh Deion Lewis ahead of Wayne Gallman, but that also was kind of expected as well. Deion Lewis, more more so for me, I'm curious if you think Deion Lewis could eat at all into Saquon Barkley's role on third downs and hurry up offense, something like that, because if you look at the last two seasons with Pat Shermer, Pat Shermer is just the workhorse boy. He's a Mike Timelin. He's a he's a guy Jason Garrett, he's a guy who just really likes to workhorse back. Um and obviously Garrett is as well, like I said, with Zeke. So I'm curious if that changes at all with Lewis in the mix. I don't think it will be enough
2: to piss all of us off as giant fans i think maybe if barkley hits a 40 yard run they're gonna spell him. put someone like dion lewis in maybe sometimes on a third down when it comes to pass protection yeah i could see dion lewis definitely being out there but you're not gonna we're not gonna see dion lewis getting like eight carries a game or something like that i I wouldn't imagine at least but if that does happen that would be a bit nuts i think you got to put Barkley out there as as much as we can which is obviously not uh a hot take
1: no, no. If Barkley's not on the field you're losing. You're you're losing a lot of value there, but if Barkley doesn't improve on the pass protection we saw from last season, yeah. then he has to come off the field on those third downs in my mind because and again, I think he's going to improve, so I don't think that's going to be a problem. And I think the highest upside is Barkley improves in pass pro and then so he can stay on the field because when you take him off the field, you're you're losing there. But if he, you know, like I said, though, I, I will stand by that. If he has those struggles he had last year, he, he was really hurting the team by being on the field with those pass pro reps.
2: Yeah, especially against the Jets. That was really, really bad. I mean, yeah. Jamal Adams had his number twice, stripped yeah. sacked Daniel Jones twice, one resulting in a touchdown. Those plays don't happen. The Giants could realistically win that game.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball on the depth chart. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. <laughs>
2: many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery as well. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. It's that simple. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE, all one word. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter the code Blue Wire. Don't forget, that's code Blue Wire, all one word, for five dollars off your first order with DoorDash. sunday Sundays, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With the NFL Sunday Ticket you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit about the Giants depth chart, or we should call it the unofficial depth chart because it's not official. On defense, it's a little weird to me, at least the way the Giants set it up um what did you think of the way they did it because the way they set it up is they have one dn position that would be manned by dexter lawrence and rj mcintosh they have a strong side linebacker position which will be manned by lorenzo carter and marcus golden i can't imagine that carter and golden won't be on the field will be trading snaps though like that um middle linebacker blake martinez tay crowder nose tackle dalvin tomlinson austin johnson so they also then have a defensive tackle position which is leonard williams bj hill okay weak inside linebacker which they have listed is Devontae downs tj brunson and then they have a whole nother outside linebacker position where O'Shane ximinens is the starter with kyler fackrell and cam brown behind him so before we dive into the secondary because there's also question marks there what do you make of how they're kind of shaping up the front seven to look
2: i don't really pay any much attention to all of this it might mean that on the strong side of the formation they may prefer to have someone like lorenzo Carter, or marcus golden out there but when it comes to their base personnel and the fact that they're going to run a lot of big nickel and have players like jabril peppers and maybe even julian love in some instances in the box is more how i think of this defense i i don't really pay too much attention to the unofficial depth chart and how they kind of lay it all out like this specifically
1: yeah, I agree with you. I think we could we could dive into a lot of what looks weird, and, and that's fine. But in the end, I think they're going to have, like you said, like most teams have, they're playing not base on 70% of their snaps. So we're going to see a lot of... Julian Love, Jabril Peppers, and Logan Ryan on the field together often.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. And in this unofficial depth chart, has Darnay Holmes as the left cornerback behind James Bradbury. He doesn't even have a nickel, so I don't pay much yeah. attention to the It also
1: has Corey Valentine starting, which we could actually have to see, unfortunately.
2: That's a realistic <laughs> that's a realistic, it's a realistic possibility. possibility. I
1: don't understand what happened with this cornerback position. They've poured seven picks into it over the last three years and signed a big free agent, and this is You know, this is what happens. But I guess that's what happens when, when I'm sure you guys have seen the news, but DeAndre Baker's been cut. That was really not how I was hoping that situation would end. I mean, they literally just drafted this guy last year, traded two picks, and then used first round capital, I it's just it's so hard to come back from losing a first rounder after a se- one season. For the rest, you know, for the rest of time, they cut him. He he'll never get another chance with the Giants, at least.
2: Um, oh, absolutely not. I mean, that's such a black eye on the organization trading up two picks to draft a guy who so bad. And like Gettleman has said, like there was nothing in or within DeAndre Baker that suggested he had any kind of criminal activity in his past. It's just he, this ends up happening, and you just have to kind of bite the bullet at that point if you're Dave Gettleman. I mean, obviously, this kid had bad practice habits, bad studying habits, and a lot of things like that. But no one could have really predicted that he would have done what he did. It's not done.
1: Gettleman's fault that he became a that, you know he had a criminal offense like this. If he's you know alleged, guilty, yes. who knows? I mean, obviously, the facts and stuff that, are, that keep coming out now don't look favorable for him. But you know, you're, when you're making a move like that and you're trading multiple picks up, you have to be right, in my opinion. You, you're just That's the whole—this goes back to my whole draft talk with Gettleman and his misunderstanding, in my opinion, of draft capital. It goes back to the Saquon Barkley pick using number two on a running back. It's almost everything he's done using an early third supplemental on Sam Beal. Why are you going crazy in a supplemental like that? You know, the Giants were a team that was trending in a bad direction. You know, I guess he thought they could be a team that was competing, but it was a rebuilding team. That third pick, that third-round pick was likely to be top 75. I I would—I would—I wonder— how much John Mara
2: has to do with that because how much John Mara wanted to field a competitive team with Eli Manning and that kind of somewhat delusional thought process that Eli Manning still had a lot left I'd
1: love to agree with you but you look at Dave Gettleman's yeah. history and he's always traded up and he's never traded down I, I agree with
2: that and the fact that Dave Gettleman said that he watched I think the second Eagles game of that year and saw that Eli Manning
1: still yeah had well he left I think might tank. have been in on it though I yeah I know someone not gonna go crazy with this inside source but I know someone who's good friends with Dave Gettleman actually and I can't say, say too much of what I heard there but I did hear that he was off on Eli way earlier than the rest that of doesn't the, surprise me the rest of the regime. And Maris, that was it, last year when Eli wouldn't have been there, I don't think, if it was all up to get him. And besides that, though, going back to his history, this is a guy who has never traded back and always trades up. And when you're going to be that guy and you're going to be the trade up guy, you're going to put yourself at a disadvantage, in my mind. I mean, you look at look at all you have to do is study economics to understand that the draft is a total crapshoot. Obviously, we saw this happen with the Eagles cutting a second rounder this week. Uh, You know, We've seen plenty of early draft picks cut. So because it's a draft pick, you want to have more swings. You want to have more chances. You don't want to have fewer. So when you're going to go and trade three picks for DeAndre Baker, you better be right about him. You better have your conviction, better be right. And when it's not right, and the fact that it's even possible for it to not be right shows how flawed the process is in my mind.
2: It's a difficult process, and especially somebody who has a little bit of baggage in terms of his work ethic and things like that. So yes, I have to agree with that, but... And I'm not trying to be a hater.
1: Listen, I, no, um, I like course, some of, of Gettleman's course. picks. I think he's done a solid job on some of his player evaluations, but you're ma- <laughs> you can't have a flawed process. There's too many teams that have really good processes. There's too many teams that are taking advantage of you know the fact that you can trade a fifth rounder for Calais Campbell. You know There's too many teams that are trading back in the draft, that aren't loading up supplemental picks and trading up for this guy and that guy understanding kind of you know maybe even though this guy is touched by the hand of god he's a running back and it's two and you either can try to trade back and get him or you miss and it's a running back it's not going to change your franchise much i mean giants have had barkley now for two years they have what six wins under him i mean seven eight wins so it's like in two years so i agree with your thesis but in his in barkley's defense he was hurt Year, yeah but, but the Giants win. weren't winning games no, even when he was on the field of so course not of course not. it's tough for me I, I think he's done a better job I always say he's done a better job than Reese so all the haters can at least take that um with a grain of salt but again as you look forward on this team it's tough they're in a tough spot because of the DeAndre Baker situation for sure
2: I definitely agree with that I think with Gettleman it's 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 been like a 50-50 thing he's definitely swung and he's missed he swung big and he's missed and he's had some savvy moves and he's done some good things as well I think it's you get kind of a, a mixed bag with Dave Gettleman. And I can agree with, with that to an
1: extent. Um, I think, unfortunately, in my mind, there's more. There's more of the. If you're looking at it as a mixed bag, and there have been some great moves. I think trading Jason Paris. Perl- Pierre Paul's contract was a great move, and they got B.J. Hill out of it, an early third round pick. I think he's had a few of those as well. I can't think, you know. Trading for Riley Dixon. Trading for Riley Dixon. I'm not going to go crazy on that. It's a punter.
2: Yeah. I thought until last week, the Ryan Connolly draft pick, the Julian sure. Love draft pick, some of those later Rob's, round picks, Darius yeah, yeah. Slayton, obviously. Slayton
1: was a nice find. I mean, I'm not going to, but I won't judge him on if the draft picks hit or not because mm-hmm. the draft, like I said, is a crapshoot. Exactly. I will judge him on the process, though, and the process of trading an early three for an impending free agent using an early three on a supplemental draft pick with injury problems and concerns in college that no one else used the three if you look at the supplemental draft that you're no one else used the three but the Giants on Beal you know and those type of decisions are the ones that and trading three picks are Baker. those are the decisions that I struggle more with because it's process based I will never judge someone on results I want to judge someone on the process
2: I agree with that now with the Leonard Williams pick. I, I 100% agree with you. with The other two, and I'm not trying to defend him, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate at this time. I think it was he took two big swings at a position that you need in the NFL, and they just did not work out.
1: Yes, I just have trouble taking... My process I, I would never yeah. involve taking trading up i just I've, i i w- would i've read uh, there's just too much working in the favor of trading back and it really just boils down to the, the main thing it's a crapshoot the draft so why are you not trying to get more swings you want more swings you don't want fewer in my mind but again he, that's not how he's ever going to draft it's, uh, he's never going to change in that way i mean yeah. you look at his years in carolina and sometimes it works he traded up for taylor moden in the second round with carolina that was an excellent land by him you know so it's going to hit sometimes and as long as he's the gm the giants are going to be a team like that that's going to have fewer chances but hopefully his convictions are correct and his film study is correct and
2: that's the big thing if those convictions are correct and one conviction that we thought was correct was ryan Connolly, but sure. now we look at this depth chart staring us right in the face man and there is no more ryan Connolly. he was claimed by the minnesota vikings the former team of Devonte downs and i honestly uh trying to make sense of it it, it sucks man i think the giants are going to look back on that i think it's going to piss a lot of us off because i think ryan Connolly is going to be a player for them
1: yeah i think they they looked at it in a certain light. So we go back to our last podcast where you thought it was kind of more of just a savvy move. I was more sort towards thinking, you know, they just gave up on this guy. You know, this was it. It See, was their Joe decision. Joe Judge
2: came out afterwards and even said— But that's what he can say. Yeah, I mean, Joe yeah. just said,
1: we tried to sneak him through, but yeah. blah, blah, blah. Figured. It's he, an he easy thing say, He did say. say
2: he figured that he, he would get Yeah, and if you out, figure yeah. he's
1: going to get scooped, exactly. then why are you releasing him if you care about him? To me, what they, their decision came down to is— they wanted play players at the position who can play right now, and they wanted players who fit their new style of defense. I'm more concerned that it's so hard to find linebackers that are quality in this league, and I think they kind of landed one with Connolly or at least they have a chance to. I mean, who knows if he'll be that. He's only had four games in the NFL, and he's coming off an ACL. Give it a little time so myopic, to see. It's so- but they, you know, they viewed it in a different way, and, and he's obviously off the roster. We'll see what he does because he went back to Minnesota where he's actually from. Um, and obviously played his, or he didn't play. He played for Wisconsin, but like, is from that area. He's from I think Edina, where he grew up with uh, Carter Coughlin, who played for Minnesota. That's what I was thinking. They went, were, to, they
2: went to Eden Prairie. Yeah, right? Eden yeah. Prairie,
1: yeah. And, and they were neighbors. So he's back home. We'll see what happens. Mike Zimmer, that's a good fit for him for sure. Um, and and I'll be interested to see his career because I was a big fan of Ryan Connolly. But as far as the depth chart goes, looking at it a little bit more. Are you surprised at all by Logan Ryan behind Julian Love, or is that just another thing where you think they'll both be on the field a lot, and who cares? I think Logan
2: Ryan even joked with the New York media about uh, it being classified, what his role with this defense is. I think he's going to be used a little bit outside. I think he's going to be used in the three-headed, safety, big nickel, big dime kind of defenses that we've been kind of preaching about Patrick Graham this entire offseason. So I think it's going to be an interchangeable piece based on matchup, and i no i don't i I don't look at him behind julian love and feel like oh Love's the starter over him i think they're all going to coexist in an 11-man defense together that's peppers love and ryan and ryan also may have to play outside if ballantyne say ballantyne is the starter goes out there what are the Steelers going to do what's that offense going to do they're going to target whatever receiver is going up against Corey ballantyne if Corey ballantyne can't hold up in the first two drives i think logan ryan is going to be put in there to be the starting corner And that's going to take away from whatever they want to do on the back end. But that's where you're going to need some safeties to step up or some other corners to step up because you can't have a huge liability on this defense because offenses are way too talented, way too good, and they're going to attack it. Giants fans were aware of this because we had Grant Haley as a starter on the 11-man defense that we fielded in 2019. So we cannot have that again as New York Giants fans or as the New York Giants team.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I would say one other interesting note with the depth chart before we move forward to the Steelers matchup would just be the kick returner, punt returners. They have Darnay Holmes as a kick returner and Golden Tate as the punt returner.
2: Yeah, Darnay Holmes, I, I honestly didn't expect that. I'm wondering, because I've heard like beat reporters talk about CJ Board possibly being somebody who returned kicks. I'm honestly not totally sure. I mean, we thought Javon Leak might be a player that could fix into this. That did not end up materializing, so... Golden Tate is the safe option as a punt returner. He's sure-handed, and he has some shiftiness in space. As for Darnay Holmes, that's something, I mean, he's a great athlete, but it's something I haven't really seen much of, so it actually does kind of intrigue me to see. But he's uh, he's not
1: a big guy. So he better have some ball security. I don't think we're going to be seeing too many kickoff returns anyway this season just based on where the NFL's trended in that direction.
2: But I think savvy teams learn where to kick the ball, and they force kickoffs.
1: Right. Yeah, that's true. Especially if you
2: have somebody who's a smaller cornerback returning the ball, somebody Mm -hmm. who's not on the offense. doesn't go through ball security drills and EDDs every day, you know?
1: Yeah. All right, let's turn our attention to the matchup on Monday Night Football Week 1, Giants hosting... I use air quotations that you can't see hosting the Steelers with no fans, so that's not going to help. Um, and I believe I've been told that any every NFL stadium will allow teams to pump in seventy decimals of fake fan noise. So, but it's even across the board. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. The Giants opened as three and a half point home underdogs, and that line shot all the way up to six points um, as betters kind of poured in on the Steelers, and now it's dropped. I think back to five and a half. Um, I am very skeptical of the Giants' ability to compete in this game, unfortunately. I just, I'm a big believer in the Steelers' defense. I believe it's top five already and will be, by the end of the year, known as the best or second best. And I just believe in the Rothsberger comeback. I think he's a veteran. I'm not too worried about it. He knows that offense, so it's not like he's learning a new offense. Has a rapport already with Juju Smith-Schuster. Built a little bit with Deontay Johnson. Um, and then, obviously, knows James Conner very well as well. Now, there is one area of this this Steelers offense that actually intrigues me where I think the Giants can get an advantage where normally in this matchup they never could and that's the offensive line this is not your your father's Steelers offensive line this is not the Steelers offensive line that are under Mike Munchak who has now since gone to Denver and left the Steelers where every year you can guarantee they were top five last year they were consistent again but they've dropped to, to the ninth uh ninth best offensive line by by I believe it was football outsiders and so I think that the offensive line can get even worse, actually, in 2020, based on the offseason movement. Obviously, they had Ramon Foster retire. That was a big loss for them. And they're changing things over at right tackle. But in week one, I think things could be even worse for the Steelers. And I think the Giants can take advantage because surprise inactive most likely will be um, David DiCastro, who's their all pro, you know, five time Pro Bowl guard, who's not expected to play versus the Giants now. And they're bringing in a new right tackle to play, Zach Banner, who, you know, is a project for the most part. So they're going to have Project Zach Banner at right tackle. They're going to have Steven Wesunewski, who was a great signing by them. But again, still a career kind of journeyman. has been on five or six different rosters by this point, starting at right guard instead of DeCastro. They obviously have Pouncy in there. Um, and then Matt Feeler. I think it's Feeler or Feller, Feeler at left guard who again, not really an elite left guard. And then obviously Andrew Villanueva, one of the best left tackles in the NFL for sure. So they do still have Villanueva and uh, Pouncy on this team for sure. That's that's impressive. But that right side of that line looks like ripe for the Giants to maybe take advantage of in this game.
2: I agree. I mean, Zach Banner, kid from USC, incredibly long arms. A lot of people kind of wrote him off. Uh, he seems like a really uh, awesome kid. I got to like, not really interact with him too much now at the senior bowl but I saw him down there at the senior bowl seems like a really bright and cool guy but you're right man him starting with Steven Wisniewski I mean how much have they worked together in practice I um, think Wisniewski is at least on the depth chart on our lads is listed as a backup left guard and the backup right guard is Kevin Dotson but they're actually gonna who's a rookie but they're actually gonna start Wisniewski because he has the experience there on the right side and I'm not sure about the, how much communication or how much How much did the Steelers know that David DeCastro wasn't going to play in this game? Or did they think he was going to be ready? Or whatever's going on with him. So there could be liabilities on the right side of that line with Banner and Wisniewski. And maybe the Giants' pass rushers, if Lorenzo Carter did actually take the development and and kind of plays to the level that, somewhat to the level of what he played during the blue-white scrimmage, the Giants can actually get some pressure on Big Ben. Or if the Steelers' offensive line maybe struggles to block as well the the big bodies that the Giants do have. That could be a matchup that the Giants might be able to win. It's just can the secondary cover the receivers long enough to allow the pass rush to beat guys like Banner and this offensive line. Banner, for one, I mean, he has incredible length. So if he just pushes, if he can, you know, establish the inside part of a pass rusher and just use his length to kind of push the pass rusher up the arc, it's going to take a little bit for that pass rusher to dip and get around and to corner the quarterback. So, say, if Corey Ballantyne's out there and he can't cover, say, Deontay Johnson, is Deontay Johnson just going to win in less than 1.5 seconds so Big Ben can hit him on a quick timing route to keep moving the chains? This is one area, though, you're right, that Giants may have the upper hand if Wisniewski and Banner struggle early on in this game.
1: Yeah, I think it's not just the pass rush that intrigues me because I do believe that the Giants are going to win this game. And this is why I will be more optimistic than I originally was now that I know about the Castro being ruled out, now that I know about what's going on with that right tackle situation. It's that they're going to have to force some turnovers from Ben Roethlisberger, either via fump, strip sacks or errant throws. But on the flip side of that, I think they could actually have a shot in this game. I really do believe it with this retooled offensive line that wasn't as effective, no longer as Munchak all of that included, to control the line of scrimmage with Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Blake Martinez coming in behind them, and specifically in the run game. If they can shut down James Conner in this run game early, because remember, this Steelers offense, while they do like to throw the ball a lot with Victor, they want to base that offense out of the run game with screens to Conner and short passes to Conner and a lot of running with Conner. And if they can stop that early and force a lot of third and longs and force Ben Rothsberger to really have to open it up in his first game back, I think they'll have a shot. Now, that leads me to my next thing. Even if they do control the line of scrimmage and get to those third and longs, is it going to be a repeat of the 2019 Giants defense, where a lot of the time, the Giants force teams into third and longs and then completely blew it on third and long. Just devastating. Now, how could that happen? Well, the only way it will happen is if, like you said, Banner does a good job of limiting uh, Carter or Golden, whoever's on that side. Villanueva does his usual thing and shuts down the the outside pass rush. And now we have matchups like Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot against darnay holmes maybe or you know and maybe the giants won't do that they'll try to counter with julian love or something like that or or peppers whatever they want to do there but then you also could potentially have eric ebron on the field who i actually think is a really good signing by the steelers and be a super big mismatch for the giants in week one on the outside Deontay johnson a lot of speed a lot really good at creating separation can Corey ballantyne hang with him or are they going to put James Bradbury, a bigger guy on him, who I think kind of maybe makes more sense to, to you know guard James Washington when they're in 11 personnel? So I'm really a little bit worried about just the matchups in the passing game when the Giants do get the third and long and the pressure. That would be my bigger concern. I think the Giants are going to have a really good shot, though, to control the line of scrimmage in the run game.
2: That's something that we're all hoping for as Giants fans. And
1: you look at the Giants' depth
2: chart, too. Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, B.J. Hill, Dexter Lawrence. Those are some big boys. And those are not easy guys to block, but I can expect the Steelers to use a lot of outside pitch, maybe not just pound the A-gaps with those big bodies in there. They're probably going to try to get to the outside, get the Giants defensive line to move horizontal to create cutback lanes for someone who has good vision like James Conner so he can cut back. But this year... Blake Martinez is much better in those situations in pursuit than someone like Al Gogletree. So maybe Blake Martinez can mitigate the success of the Steelers' outside pitch game, wide zone game, outside zone game, because I know the Steelers like to kind of go wide like that, as well as go on the inside. But I think they would have better success, kind of like what the Cowboys did in Week 9 against the Giants, uh, Leonard Williams' first game with the Giants, when they just used wide zone and outside zone and just stretched them so far horizontally that Zeke Elliott just cut them up to get to the second level. I could see a similar tactic from the Steelers' offense to try to do that to the Giants' defense, but hopefully the Giants' second-level defenders can fill their run fits in a timely manner to not allow James Conner to really break away.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, and I think, again, I still believe the Steelers' offense wants to base itself through Connor through the run game, through the screen game with him, so they could give themselves a chance on defense with that. I'm going to flip it over to the offense side of the ball now where I might be a little bit more worried To be honest, Nick. This is what really if I'm bearing down why I think the Steelers unfortunately are a good bet at minus three and a half and even at minus five and a half, it's it's this matchup, man. I just I'm so nervous about this Steelers defense that I think is just so damn good. I mean, this team this defense broke out last season once they got uh once they got Mika Fitzpatrick in a trade and once they drafted Devin Bush who they traded up for. And both were just unbelievable last year. And then off the edges, the Giants are going to have to deal with T.J. Watt, a borderline Defensive Player of the Year candidate, and Bud Dupree, a really, really good edge. That's better than anyone the Giants have. And that's going to be those two guys matched up against Cam Fleming and Andrew Thomas on every rep after we just saw Andrew Thomas struggle with his first live reps against Lorenzo Carter. It's, it's super worrisome to me.
2: 100% man. Uh, I, this is why I think the Giants are going to lose the, the matchup is because I'm not 100% sure how the offensive line is going to be able to slow this pass rush down. I mean the Steelers led the NFL last year with 54 sacks. There's a reason they did that. TJ Watt is one of the most underrated players in the NFL and people still give him the kudos that he that he, he they still give him a lot of kudos. Like he's not somebody that nobody talks about but I still think he's Underrated, And then you have Bud Dupree, who they brought back, who's in a contract here. And Cam Fleming, I feel like he's adequate on the right side. I like Andrew Thomas, but this is a primetime game. And I'm a little scared that Andrew Thomas might get beat for like three sacks in his game. And then he's all, all the people are going to come out and just start bashing him, calling him Eric Flowers 2.0, hmm. which is going to be disingenuous to this kid. He's put in a tough spot. He had an untraditional training camp, and he's thrown into primetime against one of the best defenses in the league in a new offense where everybody's kind of Learning the offense obviously going to be not as advanced as Jason Garrett's offenses when he had years with the said team because this training camp has been weird and Daniel Jones is still learning this offense. It takes a while to learn an offense, but I really hope Jason Garrett comes out, tries to run the football in creative ways, tries to get Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley into positions where they can have the football in their hands with space, create space for these really talented playmakers, and I hope that he just gets the ball out of Daniel Jones' hands quickly. Have quick, simple reads, get the ball out of your hands, and do not allow your tackles to get abused by these pass rushers.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're onto something there. The the challenge for me, for Garrett, is this. You're going against a team that really doesn't give up much in the run game. And so you want to establish the run game. You want to control the clock. You want to limit potential turnovers. But how do you do that when they're stopping every run for negative play? Then you say, okay, let's pass the ball. We can look to have quick plays that get the ball in space. That's their best option. But that's really easy to defend against if you're never challenging down the field. But you want to challenge down the field. Well, now you have to deal with Steven Nelson, a free agent they signed last offseason, one of the best free agent signings they made. And Joe Hayden, two lockdown coverage corners, in my mind, who are going up against a receiver trio in the giants that struggled to gain separation last year you look at nfl next gen stats daniel jones had the least separation of any i think he had either the least or the second least separation of any quarterback from his wide receivers as a collective group so now you're matching up a group of receivers that didn't get that much separation last year against two lockdown corners in my mind or at least very borderline lockdown minka fitzpatrick roaming back there (laughs) devin bush in the middle of the field doing whatever the hell he wants. He could stop the run every time the Giants want to, or he can just blitz. And again, it's, it's scary to me. I just, I really struggle to see where the Giants are going to move the ball in this game unless they open things up and then that gives them a really high chance of turnovers.
2: That'd be awesome if they can come out in the first drive and open up and, and kind of surprise the Steelers yeah. defense with a deep pass to kind of keep the Steelers
1: defense on their
2: toes. I'm not overly confident with it. I know the Steelers run a lot of big dime, big nickel kind of packages so basically they'll have like three four defensive back safeties out there roaming around with Devin Bush as the only linebacker and sometimes in short yardage situations they'll bring in Vince Williams as well to be the other linebacker but you'll see Minka Fitzpatrick out there with Terrell Edmonds, Stevie Nelson, Mike Hilton, Joe Hayden I'm not sure if Sean Davis, who they just signed again, they drafted him back in the second round of 2016. He was released by the Washington football team. I'm not sure if he'll have a role in this game, but you're gonna see Terrell Edmonds, who's a big physical safety with long ass arms. He's the brother of Tremaine Edmonds, both drafted in the first round back in 2018. And I think about Daniel Jones, man. He's gonna have to know where Minka Fitzpatrick is at all times, pre-post nap. What's yep. he doing? Where's he rolling? who's his coverage responsibilities because that's the kind of playmaker on defense that you, I don't want to say want to fully avoid, but you need to know what he's doing. And you need to do that with TJ Watt going up against a rookie or an adequate veteran starter in Cam Fleming and then Bud Dupree going up against a rookie or an adequate uh, veteran starter. Then you still have Cam Hayward in the middle step on to it solid run defenders who can create some pass rush ability if they really need to it's just i don't know man this defense is is a top defense for a reason and this is a young offense man that could hopefully they won't be rattled in this i'm not optimistic and It could be bad on
1: prime time. I really hope it's not. I think the best bet they can do here, honestly, even though it's going to look ugly and it's going to lead to a lot of punts early on, is is have a a ball control style approach for this game. If I'm the Giants in this matchup with my rookie tackle out there and with my Cam Fleming on the other side against this defense and with those corners... I'm probably just gonna have a ball control style offense and try to hope to win by beating that Steelers offensive line on the other side of the ball. You can win a tough, gritty, gross game if they win the turnover battle here and they, you know, it's not gonna be pretty. To me it's the only path to victory though. I don't think they can afford to try to open things up. I mean, I'm okay with what you said, try a deep pass early on. A a quick divine you know, divine read, five step drop, not seven, and maybe off a play action where it's just obviously going one one spot. But even there, you're putting yourself at risk. I believe with Minka Fitzpatrick roaming back there for sure. But regardless, I think they should really try to do their best to limit the turnovers and make this game ugly because that they're not going to win a game if they have to get into the gun early and often with Jones against this pass rush with those with that with the rest of that defense because. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that defense is pinning their ears back, too. You need to do
1: something to slow them down.
2: Slip screens, quick passes, Mm -hmm. little quick uh, route combinations to the outside, halfback draws, something that we've seen in the Giants' pass and I've complained about, but it's a good way to slow down pass rushers who are trying to win around the edge, man, just run right through the B-gap. It's just like, okay, you guys, you want to come upfield that quickly, we're just going to run the ball and pick up six, seven yards, hopefully. But you can't do that consistently. It's not really sustainable. So you just – the Giants are going to have to be on their toes with their play calling. They need to adapt to what the Steelers' defense is doing, and they need to uh, really get the ball out of Jones' hands quickly. That's that's yeah, my main thing.
1: You're right. It has to be more of a Pat Shermer style game plan than what Jason Garrett probably wants to do. But I think as counterintuitive as it is to what I've preached throughout this podcast— I think this game, if the Giants are going to win, is actually going to be on the defensive side of the ball. As crazy it sounds because most games they're going to win this season are going to be on the offensive side of the ball, You know, taking over, scoring, converting their drives, and, and, and holding the ball and keeping defense off the field. But I think there is a small slither of a crack and a crevice the Giants can break through against the Steelers' offensive line that will once again be without David DiCastro, which is huge, huge, and a new right tackle in and a new left guard not a new left guard but a left guard I'm, I'm still kind of eh, on three new starters for or three new players for ben roethlisberger that he hasn't played with communication might be an issue so to me i know they might not have the talent it seems on paper but i really like what they have on the interior defensive line This could be a game where the defense, if they just have a few really, really big plays. Remember that Patriots game the Giants had last year, middle of the season, Thursday Night Football? They almost won that game, weirdly enough. They were in the game all the way into the fourth quarter. Why? Because they had a strip sack, fumble, recover for a touchdown on defense. And in general, the defense played really, really well. That's the style of ugly game I think they need to beat the Steelers team.
2: Special teams, too.
1: Yes. Yeah, because in that
2: that game, there was a didn't chase winovich block a kick and return it for a touchdown like you need yep. to be on your toes when it comes to your block your field goal block your punt block and you also need to take advantage of any kind of special teams mishaps that the steelers might have i mean mike tomlin coached teams in the past they've gone into situations where they were favorites and they have lost it's something that this ben roethlisberger mike tomlin combination has done in the past and ben roethlisberger hasn't seen live reps in about a year so that's another big part of this that gives the Giants a chance there's always a chance there's yep. professionals out there in football it's just my main concern is T.J. Watt Bud Dupree against Cam Fleming and Andrew Thomas and that's something that's going to be hard to overlook but like you said man if the Giants can be opportunistic anything can
1: happen for sure right just limit those reps of you know pin their ear back reps limit those pin their ear backs T.J. Watt you know and even Bush and Minkovitz-Patrick are flying around the field and can get in that backfield on a pass rush so limit those ops keep the game ugly, have a few few big special teams and defensive plays, and I think they have a shot. But I'm just a little concerned they can do all of that. So we'll have to see.
2: Uh, of course, yes. And a lot of that is you're kind of banking on, on, on plays that might not happen. But I think for the, in order for the Giants to win this football game, they're going to need one or two of those kind of plays to break their way.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it, Nick. All right, guys, that's all we have for today's show. For those of you who weren't listeners or fans of the Big Blue Banter podcast last season, we're going to try to do exactly what we did last season, and that's a quick reaction pod for quick takeaways right after the game that's recorded and we will go up ASAP after the game as soon as we're done editing and recording. And then in the middle of the week, as we always do, the key staple of this podcast will be we're both going to dive into hours of the All-22 film Take notes individually, compare our notes, and then break down the Giants' pass game on All-22 while giving a small preview. Usually it's mostly an All-22 review um, and then a small preview of the next game. So keep it locked and loaded on the Big Blue Banter Pod because we got big things coming. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll speak to you soon.
2: The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Online. Bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you can get it on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day head to BetOnline day and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses don't forget to use promo code blue all one word at betonline.ag that's blue wire all one word that's all one word bet online your online sportsbook experts
0: this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding